Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we have a student sitting on our couch today. Amanda's hanging out in the Captain Kirk chair. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda in the Captain Kirk chair. And as Mark said, we've got a massage therapy student here today. Her name is Cassie. And... Uh, Let's give a backstory. Cassie sent me a message uh, not that long ago, maybe a week, two weeks ago, something like that, asking if I had advice on how to deal with clients who have endometriosis, because this is something she's dealing with personally and has been for the last three years, and she's in constant pain. So um, I gave her what little advice I could. It was pretty shitty because I don't have a lot of experience dealing with this. But as what advice I, did you give? I well, I told her that I said to her, actually, are you asking if massage therapy could be an effective treatment for this? And she said, yeah, like I would love to be able to eventually help women because I'm I'm dealing with this all the time. And I just said to her, I feel like massage could definitely be part of it when we're talking about how it's affecting the nervous system and just helping people to relax. And the fact that women suffering with endometriosis, there is a mental health component to it. Like she's in pain 100% of the time and has to live her life like this. And as she will talk about, because it's sort of one of those invisible diseases and it's not so much taken seriously, I think, by a lot of people. Um, she just kind of has to go about her day. She's not treated like she has a disease or has pain. She's, you know, just carry on with life. So I said massage therapy could definitely be effective. I also told her um, that she could possibly look into reflexology. I said I do reflexology, but within the scope of practice of a massage therapist. But a reflexologist could possibly give you more information about that. That was a lot. Cool. Yeah. Well, you asked. <laughs> yeah. A lot of backstory. A lot of backstory. But anyway, so um, Cassie was telling me about some of her struggles and then we decided let's talk about this because her mission now is to educate people about endometriosis and about some of the stuff she's been finding through research. And she recently started a new Instagram account and an Instagram TV series, I guess, to tell her story. What's your Instagram handle on that one? It is the endometriosis warrior. Thank you. Um, so actually, I'm going to stop talking now. Cassie, why don't you introduce yourself? Before you do, greatest, greatest boots. Love them. Thank you very much. <laughs> they're the Jadens. They weigh like 10 pounds each, yeah. but they're they're great. I love them. Calf workout all the time. <laughs> We're For dogs sure. people, as you can tell. So yes, we appreciate it. it. <laughs> There's two pairs of dogs at the entrance. I was like, oh, I'm home. You yeah. are. So introduce yourself to everybody. Who are you? How long you've been Oh, actually, I was going to say how long you've been a therapist. You're not. You're a I'm student. Not. So, all right, you <laughs> and go I'm ahead. I'm a very green student at that. I literally just started in August. Mm. I'm studying massage therapy here in Toronto. I just started in uh, early August. So I'm in my second module only. The school I'm doing, it's not like a semester kind of basis. So it's just course by course, which is cool. It's been really good. Uh, again, my name is Cassandra, Cassie, however you want to call me. I have endometriosis, which is exactly like you called it, an invisible illness that a lot of people either have heard of it because somebody they know or they are suffering with it, or otherwise it's like, what What do you? What did you just call me? Like, What's endo? So I've pretty much been on a mission to create some sort of, you know, be an advocate for what's going on here, because all I've realized in my situation is that if I'm like this and I'm being 
mistreated, if you will, or just kind of like, you know, swept under the rug, then there's a thousands, millions of other women who are in the exact same position. Why don't we start at the very beginning? So you found out that you had endometriosis three years ago. How did that come about? Did you start experiencing symptoms? And what, like, what were they? How did you go to your doctor and figure this out? So actually, I didn't get diagnosed until uh, June of 2018. So it took like a while from first day symptom to present day. And something pretty uh, typical about endo, I've noticed that a lot of women who have it always say that they've like their whole lives, their whole adolescence, they've had very painful periods. And this is just a trend for them. For me, that was absolutely not the case. I never had a single issue. I never had PMS. I never had any sort of like cramp in my life. And in fact, when women would be like, oh, I have cramps, I'm like, can't be that bad, really. And I did not take it seriously. I was working. I used to be a hairstylist and a makeup artist. So I was working one day. I got a insanely sharp pain in my lower right abdomen and I like passed out at work. I was absolutely dying of pain and I went to a nearby hospital and they were like, oh, that sounds like it might be appendicitis. Do you have a fever? You know, they kind of went that route and then I had an ultrasound done, didn't end up being appendicitis and then they were like, oh, there's a a cyst on your ovary. That's probably it, but it'll rupture soon. Just, you know, it's going to be fine. It was to the point where like I couldn't walk anymore. Putting pressure on my right leg was just like not, it was not going to happen. So from that moment, I was like, I really do need to get surgery or something to be able to like, can you rupture this if it's apparently a cyst? I'd never heard of endometriosis ever at the time. So I had no idea what what that even was. It was never brought up to me either. So I ended up having surgery two weeks after that. This was in uh, September of 2016, just to kind of like put in a timeline. I had my surgery on October 5th of 2016. And uh, they went in and basically, uh, you know, after my surgery, they didn't find any cyst or anything because it could have probably ruptured or just gone away or dissolved in the two-week period from when I went to the hospital to when I actually had my surgery. So, so it I, obviously was not the cyst causing the pain because the pain persisted for you. Exactly. Yeah. And I had a really weird, uh, that first surgery was just like a super weird experience in itself. It was at North York General here in Toronto. And the surgery was just, I remember afterwards, like not being able to see the surgeon or like the, you know, the resident doctor who was like seeing me or anything like that. I had no answers. I just kind of woke up all drowsy from surgery and I was like, okay, go home. And they just gave my mom a note with like a couple surgery notes saying like, no cyst found. Sorry, she's fine. Uh, Call back in four to six weeks for a post-op. And I was like, okay, cool. That'll be great. Because after surgery, I was like, I'm still in so much pain. This is like, obviously either nothing's been resolved or something went wrong. So four to six weeks go by, still in a lot of pain. I call and there's a note on the system. According to the receptionist, she's like, oh, the doctor said you don't need any post-op. I was like, no, you cut me open. I'm getting a post-op. I want to know what you found because I'm still in a lot of pain. And uh, yeah, that was the very first sign of my symptom. It was just from one day to another. I just had a tremendous stabbing pain. And I always kind of say it that the girl that went into the hospital that day never came out because that's literally what it felt like. Like the exact person who was before September 22nd, 2016, I was a completely different person. I've never been without pain since that day. How would you describe the pain? What does it feel like? Because when you came in here, you said you're in pain even right now. Yes, all the time. What does it feel like? Honestly, it kind of, it's definitely a different kind of pain. If I could describe it to you back then, the very first time, it it felt like it was the most excruciating thing in the world. And it just felt like a stab in the lower, like to me, it was my right ovary. It's Mm -hmm. always been like that. I always point to my lower right stomach because that's where it always hurts. And it just felt like a stab, a very dull pain that was just like constantly there did not fluctuate or anything like that it was just pain and nowadays it's gotten to the point where like my low back hurts or both legs will hurt there's times where like my legs go numb something totally weird that was terrifying the first time it happened I remember 
I think I was getting out of my car and I was like, okay, my legs are like tingly. I haven't been sitting cross-legged. Why am I losing circulation to my mm. legs? And I, so it totally depends. And it depends on, I guess, the time of the month, what time of the day it is. I find it gets worse in the evening. I just, it's been so, such a different, like radiating, like it, it doesn't stay still the pain. So I'd say now it's like lower back to like the other ovary, just everywhere that is reproductive region hurts. What do you do for it? So originally I was uh, prescribed a bunch of, it was like Percocet or like oxycodone or anything like that. They would just give me those things because I would go to the hospital and like the emergency room so often just complaining that I'm in so much pain. And that was the first thing. I would never go in there and I'd be like, let's, I want to take care of this pain. I was always like, I need to know what this problem is before we can even get to the solutions for the pain. Like I'd like to know why I'm in this kind of pain. And the answer was always just, here's here's drugs, here's narcotics, here's this, take this, get out of my office. And I was like, I don't really want to have a habit forming, you know, situation here. I don't really want to get addicted to opioids. So not ideal. Uh, I remember trying them for the first little bit because it never in a million years did it occur to me that this was going to be more than a couple of days. Right. You know what I mean? So I took the Percocet at the time. It made me so, you know, high and drowsy. I've also like, I've never had alcohol in my life. I've never like, I don't do any like drugs or alcohol or anything like that. So for me to be high was so uncomfortable and so not like me. So the Percocet was not going to work as like a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. And I tried it. And the worst part about it is it made me feel like shit. I felt so high, but it didn't really take away that pain. And when the stabs would come, it was as if I was on absolutely nothing. Wow. Yeah. So presently I'm not really doing anything for it. Unfortunately, I just kind of came to terms with the fact that this is going to be, this is my new normal, if you will. I'm doing air quotes. Completely off topic. Well, not completely off topic, just because I'm curious about the perks. Did they make you feel like shit when you were like in the mid of your high or was it only when you come off your high you feel like shit? I'd I've, say mid. Oh, okay. Yeah, mid and then, well, actually a little bit of both, but two different types of feeling like shit. Yeah. During, I was like, oh my God, I feel nauseated. Like I don't feel well. I was very, probably because I'm not used to it and mm. you get dizzy, you get, you know what I mean? All those things. So I'm sure that's probably why I felt nauseated. And yeah. then after it was just I'd never had a hangover, but I can only imagine that's what a hangover felt mm, like. Like yeah. my head hurt. And the, I was like, the come down off of off of perks is horrible. Like I can see why people like for me when I've I've taken perks before because of my lower back pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel great when I'm on them, but the come down is horrible. So I can definitely see why someone wants to pop another one, especially as soon as the come down. Just to starts. not deal with that. Well, yeah. that's why it's so. I mean, we don't have to talk about this because everybody already knows that this is a crisis. But this is why it's bizarre to me that doctors go so quickly to Percocets and other types of opioids oh, so and whatever fast. just to, as you said, to deal with the pain. Yes. yes, we need to deal with the pain, but we really need to figure out what the underlying issues are so that you don't have to become addicted to these drugs. Like Mark said, you f I mean, for a lot of people, they do feel really great when they're on them and then it's the come down that's horrible. So what do you do? You pop another one. Yeah. And then you wonder why there's an opioid crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Like why are so many people dying of fentanyl overdoses? It's just, it's, it's odd. And again, I remember there's been so many times that I go into the hospital not saying once, please give me something for my pain. I'm in a lot of pain. Can you make this stop? I've never used any of those phrases, questions, words, nothing. And I almost always, I'd say nine out of 10 times, I leave with a prescription to Percocet. Mm. every single time and I'm like why I didn't ask for this why are you giving me this and I always leave with one I actually just saw my family doctor last week and I brought up to him the whole autoimmune and like I'm getting sick all the time can we work at that and his response was I think we should look at the pain first I'm gonna write you a prescription for something to help you sleep at night if you're in too much pain mm -hmm. which was more Percocet and I was like 
I like I didn't go into that appointment ever mentioning I'm in pain. Please help me with the pain. So since you just brought up, you said the word autoimmune. um, Let's talk a little bit about since you've discovered that you have endometriosis, you said you've been researching. What have you discovered about this? Because to be honest, I don't know a ton. Like I have an idea about what's going on, but I really I wouldn't call myself an expert. So what have you discovered about this invisible illness? Uh, Number one, I think in terms of, well, number one, a ton of women have this and they just don't know or doctors are, because the only way to diagnose it is surgery. So a lot of women won't go down that path and they'll just live in constant pain, have no idea what the hell's causing it. But in terms of the autoimmune, my father actually has an autoimmune disorder. He's, uh, he has rheumatoid arthritis. So I really understand, I understood from him, he was diagnosed when I was like 11 years old. So I saw the joints swelling and he was in so much pain. He couldn't walk sometimes. And he's been on, you know, a plethora of different medications to be able to to combat that. And he's much better now. So to me, when I got endo and I was like, okay, clearly we know that the adhesions, which are what you call the endometrial tissue that kind of goes where it's not supposed to be, Mm -hmm. which is endometriosis, when they become inflamed, that's inflammation. So inflammation being an immune response, I was like, there has to be a link somewhere. And also I used to be super, super healthy again, like treating my body pretty well, in my opinion, before endo, you know, like not drinking, not smoking, exercising, doing my thing. I was not somebody who like did not care much for their body. I was very healthy. And then it was like, I got sick and I just noticed that I would catch every cold. If somebody with like a stomach bug looked at me the wrong way, I had that stomach bug. Like I was just getting sick all the time. And I was like, oh my God, this is not the way I used to be whatsoever. So I kind of made the connection. I was like, if inflammation is an immune response, why is every other form of inflammation seen as an autoimmune except for this one? Because if it happens in the nerves, it's MS. If it happens in the bowels and intestines, it's Crohn's. If it happens in the joints, it's RA. You know what I mean? Like all these things are, we know this already. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand why endometriosis and the inflammation, is it strictly because it's a women's issue that there's no link there? Because to me, the link for those things it just seemed a little bit obvious. And because I'd always bring it up to doctors and it was met with like a, no, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not autoimmune. The fact that you're in pain might be, you know, contributing to your uh, immunity, but otherwise endometriosis is not an autoimmune. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. What's the definition of autoimmune? If you want to just use a basic idea, your 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 body's attacking itself and then you're having an immune response to otherwise tissue that shouldn't have an immune response to. Okay, thank you. Then I don't I don't understand how endometriosis, like now that you're saying this, endometriosis fits that definition. There's exactly. tissue <laughs> growing in a place it's not supposed to be and your body is attacking it. Because it's not supposed to be there there. and it's just popping up there. There's no reason. There's no like it's it's idiopathic. It just this tissue is in the wrong place. Exactly. And now your body's attacking it. Isn't that autoimmune? But autoimmune is more centered around the idea of inflammation, not necessarily the growth of tissue. Right. So this this is where the definition might fall apart. Yeah, the definition. It's it's not exactly. But I understand where Cassie's coming from in that because that tissue is growing there, the inflammation that's happening in her body is a result of that. So yes, it's not just inflammation for the sake of inflammation, mm-hmm. but it's still an inflammatory response to something that your body's just doing Shouldn't on other, its own. Exactly, yeah. So it, it does, it, it, I understand why you're trying to get this link. Did you find other research that supports this idea that endometriosis is autoimmune? Yeah, so my best friend, because uh, I don't like it's so hard to be able to do actual medical research without having links to like a university kind of library situation. Mm-hmm. So best friend uh, went to university, still had access to her library. So I went on there and just on like PubMed and stuff like that. And I found something like 26,000 articles 
of this concept in some ways or another. And I noticed, and I, and I learned some like pretty interesting stuff. Number one, there are a lot of people who are trying to bring the link to, you know, make the link and the connection that those two things are related, that it just makes sense that if your body is, again, you have this inflammation and you, the immune system goes down, right? Cause your body's busy attacking other things. If you, you know, influenza shows up, it's not really paying attention to getting rid of your influenza. It's busy dealing with something else at the time. And it's constantly doing that. So what is the what is the desperate attempt to make the link though? I'm not trying to be offensive in oh, any yeah, way, no, no. but I I don't understand like why try to make that link. Like what you know what does that it make? that uh, obsession or whatever, if you will, like I yeah. came really hell bent on it probably about a week and a half ago, literally when I had a run in with the dean at my school, and uh, I've just had these issues. And I had it originally was with a classmate, which is why it eventually went on to be with the dean because I had always told my classmates I was like, hey guys, you know, it's massage therapy school. We're touching each other mm-hmm. all day every day naked, rubbing, touching, like we're very close. So I'm like, if you're sick, and I've been saying this from the beginning, I don't mean to be germaphobe or rude, but I get sick very, very easily. And I live with somebody with an autoimmune. If you're sick, could you please kindly not come near me? Maybe we'll be partners some other time when you're feeling better. And a girl who was sick in my class uh, announced it over the weekend on our little WhatsApp group. And she's like, oh, I'm like throwing up everywhere. I'm violently ill, just an FYI. And instantly my mind is like, all the surfaces we've come in contact with. I'm like, great I'm gonna get sick and like I just I had to send out a little message again just saying guys please I've asked you like if you're not feeling well and it was annoying because we had already been like touching earlier that day and I was like I just thought I asked you 17 times and you still I I felt like it was just blatantly being disrespected Mm -hmm. so I just sent a general message I'm like guys please if you are feeling that you have some sort of sickness please just out of respect for me and my lack of immune immune system and my father's please don't come anywhere near me and I was met with a response that was like um what did she tell me? She's uh, She told me that I can't be relying on others to, you know, avoid getting sick. I should be prepping some vitamins in order to, you know, combat this better. And school or any kind of public thing isn't ideal for people with autoimmunes in general. So I was like, okay, fuck me then, right? <laughs> like, never mind. So it was kind of met with that. And it was, and it was very much a defense kind of like to her, but I wasn't attacking her as a person. I couldn't care less. It's just, if you're sick, you could, be, you could be my own mother, my own boyfriend, please don't touch me. It was, it was just that. And it was just taken super, super poorly. And all I really- Yeah, I don't think that's an unreasonable request at all. Even, if, was, even, even if, if you don't exactly. have an autoimmune, like, even with my clients. So obviously, um, I have a cancellation fee, right? If you decide, you know, at four o'clock that you're not coming to your six o'clock appointment, yeah, you're going to pay for it. If you call me in the morning, and you have an appointment with me and you say, I'm sick, I'm not going to charge you. I'm like, good, don't don't come. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get my kids sick. Yeah, don't come. So I don't think that's unreasonable. But again, it's still, I'll be honest with you, I'm still confused as, as what Mark said is, why, why do you think that you would have better luck at getting people to take you seriously if you can make this link with an autoimmune? Do you think that it's people take that more seriously? Like, why do you want people to view endometriosis as autoimmune? I do believe that it would be taken more seriously just because I think any other, again, autoimmune, we think of somebody with lupus, your mind instantly is like, oh, lupus, right? I, I don't want, I'll be careful. I'll be this or MS, you know what I mean? And you see those symptoms and uh, like rheumatoid arthritis, like my dad, unless you actually like took a look, like t- like looked at his knuckles or his knees or anything when they would become swollen, 
you wouldn't really know otherwise. You would just see a big guy in a lot of pain. You wouldn't really understand why. But I feel like there's a certain uh, respect, if you will, for people who do, who do have autoimmune disorders. I feel like people are just kind of like, oh, absolutely. Going to wash my hands right away. Going to be a little more careful, which at the end of the day is all I really want. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to. It's hard to um, to have people empathize for something that they have no idea about, especially for like a man, for example. It's really hard to understand what like ovarian pain must be like or like mm-hmm. my uterus is killing me like i'm in a, like you know what i mean those things are really hard and i just feel like it shouldn't be strictly a female problem it shouldn't just be you should just have the kind of consideration and respect for somebody if they're telling you that they're sick if they're telling you my immune system doesn't work as such please you know behave with me as such maybe just don't come near me and again it is you're right just common courtesy really right to not want to go near people sick or otherwise i just feel like that extra little bit of being taken seriously would kind of just you know i think that's the key i think you um and i'm not saying you're wrong i think you're absolutely right that people don't necessarily look at endometriosis as anything serious if you hear someone tell you that somebody they know has been diagnosed with lupus or ms it's immediate sympathy and like, oh my goodness, are they okay? And they want to take care of you. You hear someone has endometriosis. It's like, oh, that sucks. So like you can't have kids like that's oh, that's yeah, immediately no. what people think is just like, OK, it's a fertility thing. They don't really think about the pain and discomfort and everything exactly. else that comes and along with it. everything else that comes with it. No, I never really even considered the weakened immune system. But again, it does make sense because there is inflammation. So it is it is definitely having an impact on other parts of your body. Mm. Um, but yes, the pain is, I think something that people maybe downplay when it comes to endometriosis? Oh, big time. Big time. I've definitely, from like the moment I started to think that I had endometriosis down to the moment I was diagnosed and I was like, I knew it. I wasn't happy about it, obviously. It's terrifying to think that I was like, oh, okay, now I have an answer, but it's not a good answer. Like, oh no. And I had talked to people who were like, Oh, but you, you're you not going to like die from that, right? You're fine. It's just painful periods. And I'm like, no, I live all day, every day. I'm in pain right now as I'm doing your hair, lady. I'm in so much pain, you know? And it's just, you know what I mean? And then on the uh, fertility thing, I have been so heavily criticized for my ability to maybe one day probably not have kids. It was told to me by my surgeon, it's, it's just probably going to be difficult for you. And I'm with a lot of women with endo. Mm-hmm. And I've had women who are like, oh, no. But you're, you were put on this planet to like, you know, to to reproduce and to be a fuck mom off. and to have kids. And I'm literally sitting there like, again, fuck me, right? I'm like, well, I didn't really, this isn't a choice, Susan. Like, this is my, you know what I mean? It's always fucking Susan. It's always Susan <laughs> or Barbara. It's always Karen. one of those. Karen. Karen. Yes. And it's always something like that. So uh, just on so many avenues, it's like, there's just so little respect for yeah. it. And if it became a more, if you will, quote unquote, respectable disease, I feel like people would treat it accordingly, but they Mm. don't. And I'm not even going to lie. Like I said, before I got sick, when women were like, I have really painful cramps, I'm like, suck it up. You know what I mean? I didn't. So I can understand. And I've had to correct my behavior because I'm like, oh, shit, this is real. Me and bajillion of other people are dealing with this, too. And this is real. This isn't. And it's not just pain. It's not just infertility. Again, there's the immune side to it and all these things that I've really had to find on my own, through communities, through support groups, all that stuff, doing my own research, which is, is hard, right? When you don't have anybody else kind of on your side kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Stuff. And how has your your partner been dealing with all of this? Like knowing that fertility might be a big issue. Yeah. What are his thoughts? He's amazing. We actually met before I knew that I had endometriosis, but I knew something was wrong. We met in early 2017. 
and I would have been already dealing with my pain in late 2016. So I gave him the full disclaimer. I'm like, look, you probably like I'm in a lot of pain. There's a lot of days where I can't get out of bed. No hard feelings. If you don't want to date, like I won't take it any kind of way. He has from day one been an absolute angel with everything. You know, when I found out this is probably going to make it hard for us to ever have kids, he's like, I'm not dating you because you're going to eventually be my brood sow. He's like, I'm dating you because I want to date you. I want to be with you. I don't, if you can't give me children, he's like, we can adopt. There's other ways, you know, we can, there's another way to go about it. And he was always nothing but supportive with Mm -hmm. it. Like seriously, that kind of support. I don't know what I would do without it really. Cause if I, you never know, right. You hear even about like Aisha Tyler, she got like her husband left her because she wasn't able to conceive. And Mm -hmm. it's like, if it can happen to Aisha Tyler, it's absolutely going to happen to me. So I was like, you know what I mean? I was like, oh great. Like I'm not long for this world. Well, and even the story you were telling me off mic about, you know, it used to be, I guess, maybe a myth that having kids could cure, I'm putting that in air quotes, cure endo. But then there was a woman who decided to take that route, have kids, and then her endo got worse afterwards. And her child was taken from her because she was in too much pain to care for that baby. Exactly. That is devastating. It is devastating. And it's a very common thing that doctors will uh, suggest or float out there to you if you look like you're of age, like maybe you should have kids soon. Again, me in my late 20s, you know, I remember being asked, are are you in a relationship right now? Is it a serious one? You're at the time 25, like, "Mm, you know, TikTok, you could probably have a kid soon. Or in other cases, one of my friends who also has endo uh, is 40. And she would go into her appointment and the doctor was like, well, you're going to hit menopause soon. So we could just hold out for that, right? And it's like, no, don't give me the menopause or pregnancy are my only options, really? <laughs> like, hmm. no. So is that where we're at in terms of knowledge in the medical community with somebody with endometriosis? It's pain management up until either pregnancy or menopause? Yeah, either that or medically induced menopause, which is what I was in for uh, about six weeks. I was recommended. There's only two drugs currently. I think the Health Canada allows here. Uh, it's called Vizan and Lupron. Lupron is an injection. Vizan is a pill. I decided to go for Vizan because being self-employed for a long time, like I did not have a drug plan and Lupron, the injection was $800 an injection. I'm like, that's going to be a no from me. <laughs> it's absolutely not going to fly. So I took Vizan also pretty expensive too for what it was. And it just basically puts you into menopause. It gives you all the hormones or to shut off the hormones so that you're not ovulating, bleeding. You don't have a cycle anymore. So when I would tell people, I was like, I'm going through menopause right now. They were like, you are 25. You don't have any any idea about that. I'm like, mm, no, I do. <laughs> like, You know, all those things. So that's pretty much your only options. And if you're young, like me at the time, you are either offered the medically induced menopause while you're waiting for surgery because the wait times are tremendous, right? Like I had to wait, I think it was nine months to finally see my surgeon who eventually was like, okay, we're going to do an excision and we're going to remove all this. But if you don't want to do surgery, which is totally, you're right, the only options are medically induced menopause, wait for your menopause or have a baby at the hopes it might get better. Mm-hmm. But there's no... So you did have surgery. I had And two. what did they do? Uh, so in my first surgery, like I said, at North York General, before they had any idea, uh, they didn't find anything. And I remember finally getting that post-op appointment and I was like, oh, you know, and by the time it had been like, I had my surgery in October of 2016. I didn't get to have my post-op until May of 2017. So it was quite some time. So the mind wanders, you research, you're like, WebMD, what's wrong with me, right? What's going on? And I kept seeing like endometriosis and I was like, oh, that could be a thing. That could be something that I have for sure. 
brought it up to that surgeon who was like literally in his uh, 80s or like late 80s. He was so old. I was like, oh my gosh, this man is not going to know anything about me and my vagina. Like he's not going to understand. And his... I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, I understand you didn't find anything like that, but I was doing some research and I saw something called endometriosis and the symptoms kind of, he cut me off mid-sentence and he's like, oh no. He's like, if you had endometriosis, you would know it because you'd be in a lot more pain. Mm. And I remember (laughs) my mom was in the room with me. She comes with me to all my appointments. Like, I don't know what I would have done otherwise. It probably would have been like a murder-suicide situation. (laughs) Like, I would not have been able to do. I was like, did you... Did I hear that correctly? I'm like, I'm telling you that I'm in a lot of pain. Like, what do you mean? No, you are. You would be in more pain. How do you know that? You know what I mean? And I was just like, that was an infuriating response to me because I was like, again, fuck me, right? I. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like, I thought I said I was the in a amount lot of, pain. of pain that some people function with. I'm. I'm not um, disregarding men at all, but as- women especially because we're expected to. Like again, what I was saying to you off mic. I mean, this is getting super personal. But after my kids, my my cycles got incredibly painful where uh, there's about two days a month right now where the amount of pain I'm it takes my breath away like Mark will be walking behind me and I just stop he's like what's wrong it takes my breath away the pain is so intense it's almost like labor pain again and I can say that because I had two kids without drugs and I tell you I'm telling you I have felt it oh my god and the pain gets so bad and yeah like I said I had a little freak out poor Mark has to be here for all of my freak outs but I just had a little freak out one day when the pain was so intense and you know I've got a million things to do and I've got to take care of the kids and I've got to come to work and I got to treat my clients. And I said to him, if a man, if I ever hear a man ever in my presence complaining about anything, I'm going to rip his face off. He's like, whoa, sorry, okay, won't complain about anything. I'm like, no, you're not safe around me because women, I think, are expected just to function through this kind of pain because it's, you know, it's natural. It's what our bodies do. But yeah. I'm endometriosis is a whole other thing. It is an illness. It's not normal. And you shouldn't have to just function through your daily life in this amount of pain. Or so you would think, right? Has anyone ever suggested having your having a hysterectomy or your ovaries removed was, or anything like that? Yeah, that's what I, I was actually wanted to look at that myself because again, I was like, okay, this is an ovarian issue. Surely we could remove the one painful ovary. You know, like, let me just float that out there to the surgeons. Mm -hmm. And I was met with an absolutely fuck no, not going to happen. You were 20 at the time, 25, 26. Sorry, not going to happen. Like, no. And even my family doctor, when I was asking for referrals, I'm like, is this possible for me? Is that something I could do? Because I've come to the terms. Okay, if it's already going to, if I know it's going to be hard to have kids, then why not just like cut out the middleman, save me all the agony. And then maybe if you did a hysterectomy, I could be pain free. Mm. And he said for women your age, I think he gave me the, I think it was 34 and under is the number he gave me. Uh, For women 34 and under, it's like you have to be literally dying. Like something in your reproductive system has to literally be killing you that it's okay. We If we don't remove this, she's going to die. Otherwise it's not going to happen because apparently I can turn around a couple years later and say, I want to have kids now and you took my ovaries and now I can't. Which is like preposterous because you would think it's like, well, I'd sign a form, surely. You know what I mean? But it's not. Apparently, it's not that simple. And, you know, I had even looked into it like in the States to see if that was a possibility. Like perhaps one could be coerced with some money to to give me a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Not possible. They completely brush me off. So the surgery you did do, like we know the first one and then you went for the post-op. So have you had anything done to help with this? I'm confused. Would they do a surgery like that for, for transitions? Oh, I wonder. I I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think so. Mm. I think, 
correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody knows, but I think there's like um, the hormone therapy, which will stop any kind of cycles. It's the same injection yeah. that so, I would have yeah, taken. Yeah, I don't think that they would remove the internal reproductive organs. I don't think so. Okay. I've heard is that they... Um they do just kind of shut down the plumbing if you are trying to transition from yeah. female to male and that's what you want to do because that and women with endo are the only people who are di- uh, who are prescribed Lupron, mm. which is the injection that basically puts you into menopause. I was just wondering, I'm like, if if they're willing to do this for transition. Yeah, but I don't then... think they do. Okay. Because I mean, that's, that's major fucking surgery. Like I can understand like them not wanting to do it. Um, I... <sighs> I'm having a little bit of a problem with the argument about your age and because you might want to reproduce. Like there's a part of me that understands it because they don't want you to be in regret. However, this is really affecting your quality of life and you're only 27. And if you have to wait until 35 where this even becomes a possibility for you, there's essentially what you're telling me and what they're telling you is there's no solution from now until then. Yeah, and not to be uh, dramatic about it, but when I first heard that, I was like, how I took it, I thought, okay, I am a baby maker and nothing else. You obviously do not care that I'm in pain 24-7, that I cannot work. Because there was a about a year and a half period where I didn't work, which for me, I am like... I am just insane. I used to work seven days a week. I loved what I did. I absolutely still do. I love doing hair and makeup. And I had always wanted to do massage therapy, hence why I got into it now. I've just constantly been like, I got to do, I got to do, got to do something. So for me to just be in bed for literally months, weeks, like that's just been my life. It was a huge hit to me. Mm -hmm. So you know what I mean? To be able to sit there and be told by a doctor, no, you need to, uh, like you'd have to wait for a certain age. It's like, simply because I might want to have a kid. I'm like, that's not fair. Cause then you're telling me I'm not a human being aside from baby maker. I am merely here to make child and then sucks. Yeah. And then we'll deal with your pain afterwards. But until then it's like, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, a human being like the fact that you don't have a good quality of life doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's just odd. Sorry. I just passed Amanda the, it's on the list of surgeries that, that they do for trans. Isn't it? Or am I, I, am I, I reading that wrong? I'm not seeing it. So unless I scrolled, but I didn't. Surgery is available. Uh, oh, it is. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Because that was... Okay. So Mark just handed me his phone where we're looking at uh, women's, women's College Hospital and surgeries available for the trans community. And hysterectomy is actually listed okay so yeah now i'm even more sad yeah because even then it's like that's a that's a choice and that's something i'm never gonna sit there and try to take away from anybody like that because it's exactly what you just said then you're not you're not given that choice because you might want to have a baby but yeah, I don't know. It's odd. Yeah, it's definitely baffling to be honest with you, especially again, if people who have decided I no longer want to be female, I want to identify as a male. And absolutely, you have your absolute right to do that. So if they would do it for them, this is a matter of I need this to be able to be a functioning human being. Yeah, no, that's, sorry, not for you. That's that's where I was going. With yeah, it, right? that's really that's how it up. kind of seems. Yeah, because it's like if you're able to give it to somebody who's made the decision that they no longer want to identify as female. Okay, that that's absolutely so fair. But then why me dying of pain with all my organs down there? Like, why can't that be an option for me when this isn't necessarily a decision? You know, I didn't wake up one day and decide to have endometriosis or decide to mm-hmm. be in pain or anything like that. It's just, I, I think it should be an option that women are entitled to. And not to say that there's nothing about, you know, being a mom. And it would have been fantastic if it's ever going to happen. But to be honest with you, I'd rather take advantage of the years that I'm, you know, younger and not 
having kids at the moment to be able to be healthy and pain-free and live that way. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Tell me about the hormone therapy. I want to know what that's about. The one that they put me on? Oh, yeah. it was brutal. It was awful. I lasted uh, all of six weeks. And it was just, it, it was a pill for me because I didn't, again, I didn't want to have to pay the $300 or mm-hmm. no, it was $800. Sorry. Vizan, the pill that I was on was 300 for a little pack of like, imagine overpriced birth control that it was so expensive. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try the cheaper one first. And if that doesn't work, then maybe we'll just go to Lubrum. So it's basically, again, just kind of shutting down your plumbing is how it was described to me by the doctor. And it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel, you're going to go through all the symptoms of menopause, you know, the hot flashes and all those things. And that is exactly what it was. However, I like psychologically that drug, it fucked me up. I was, I was like depressed as hell. And it was almost like clockwork. If I would take the medication like eight, nine in the morning Mm -hmm. by three to 4 PM, I was in absolute tears over nothing, Mm. over nothing. My boyfriend would just be sitting there. I'll never forget. He was barbecuing and I was just like sitting there outside and I was looking at him and I'm like, you like hate me, don't you? You just want to break up with me. And I just started to like cry for no reason. And he's like, what did I do to you? And I was like, nothing. You don't understand. So it was just like emotions were just everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God. And I had had a history of depression when I was in my late teens and like my early, early 20s. No, not even early 20s. I'd say I was about like 16 to 18. So I had already dealt with depression and I knew exactly where this was going. And I was like, no, sorry, I'm not at the risk. And and the pain wasn't going away. So to me, the trade-off was not there. If it was a matter of like, ooh, you know, quality of life for a little bit of like mental warfare for a bit. Okay, I can understand that. But this was just that. It was just all the shitty symptoms that I was going to side effects from it with no help to my pain. So I was mm. like, yeah, that's not going to work. And I and I tried, tried so hard. I tried for six weeks and I swear by like week five, I was like, I may literally, and I'm not, this isn't a joke. This isn't funny. I thought I was going to kill myself. I could not coexist on that medication anymore. And I called the doctor and I was like, this is how I'm feeling. You know, I've had a history of depression. This is not driving with me. I'm, I'm not well. I can't do this anymore. And he's like, okay, absolutely. You know, don't, I can understand if you don't want to take that. And he's like, I'm not going to recommend that you do Lupron simply because of what the first drug did to you. He's like, no problem. We'll wait for your surgery. So it was brutal. That drug was awful. Mm. And then so, okay, again, because <laughs> we keep getting sorry, sidetracked, sorry, sorry. but no, it's okay because we, this was all important to this question. What was the surgery? What did they do? Okay, so the second surgery, I had to meet an endometriosis specialist because my family doctor, when I brought it up to him, he's like, oh yeah, it absolutely could be endometriosis. I'm going to uh, get you to see somebody who's a fantastic surgeon. And he is. And him, I'm absolutely comfortable saying his name because I, I, I would like every woman in Toronto dealing with this to go see him or in anywhere. His name is uh, Dr. Satkunaratnam. He used to be at St. Mike's, he's now at North York General, I believe. And he was the one who, in my opinion, took me seriously when I sat down in his office. And he's like, okay, I've looked over your notes. He's like, I think you have endometriosis. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not crazy. You actually think I, oh yeah, really? This is a thing? And he was like, yep, absolutely. We're going to schedule the surgery. I'll just warn you. It takes a long time to get in with me. And rightfully so. He was amazing. And he's one of the, I think, one of like 11 doctors in Ontario that performs excision surgery, which is kind of like you can look at it at the when you're like taking weeds out of like a garden. You can just trim the top off or you can take it all out from the root. So the burning and the lasering being kind of trimming the top off, which is what they would do for like a cyst or for anything else. But the excision is to really cut it kind of from the root and take it out like that. And apparently another thing is that only certain surgeons who have done the training even know how to recognize endometriosis. 
because it's it's not really foreign tissue. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We have it in the body naturally. It's supposed to be there. It's just in the wrong place. So a lot of doctors go in and surgeons, you know, years of of experience and they won't know what they're looking at. They won't know. Literally, it'll be looking them in the face and they have no idea. So that's what he did is he removed tissue mm-hmm. that was just misplaced. Yeah, he did uh, my excision, but I, he also told me that it was mostly excision and then for some I I don't know why but some of it was the laser kind of burning it off as well and I knew going into the surgery it it was told to me that there's a chance that you might be pain-free that you might go into remission with excision there's a chance that that might happen to you or there's a chance it could get twice as bad afterwards because those tissues they can grow back right like no problem you know what I mean it can wait until you get your cycle again they can grow right back you have no idea it could take three days three years you know, three decades for you to feel anything mm-hmm. if you ever do again. So they they gave me that. And I was like, nope, absolutely sign me up. Get in there. If that if there's even a possibility that it might take it away, please do. And he went in and for about two weeks after my surgery, I felt like no pain. I felt the abdominal pain because they had cut me in like four mm-hmm. places. It was the keyhole surgery. But I was like, oh, my God, I was like, I don't even want to say it too loud, but I think I'm better. I think I'm cured. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And then sure enough, cycle came and it was like, nope, uh, just kidding. (laughs) False alarm. Oh, no. Yeah. And it came back and that was brutal. But that's what that doctor did. And that's what a lot of women, unfortunately, are on tremendous wait lists to see is to help them with that excision. Because like I said, there's only something like 11 doctors in Ontario that do that. Wow. You know, you'll be waiting a while, about a year to get in with one of them. But when you finally do, it can be it can be worth it because there have been women who have you know seen remission from endo and it's amazing because there's no cure yeah or it can be a scenario where you're just uh, heading down the road for lots of surgery yeah that's a big thing constant lots of surgery i think uh julianne hoff she has endometriosis and i remember watching a little bit that she did on it and she was like yep i'm on a mix of hormone therapy and i get surgeries every couple of years so she gets excisions every couple of years emma wiggle yes she is the australian ambassador for endometriosis absolutely she can explain it to five-year-olds we can as adults deal with it you know what i mean like she's able to explain it to and she's like okay i have a pain in my tummy so i have to go to the doctor and i'll be back in a couple of weeks or months and they're like okay you know they're totally understanding so i'm like if the five-year-olds can understand surely you of age 30 can meet me somewhere you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so the one doctor that took you serious i think even that, even the doctor listening to you and validating, uh, that was a word you used with me many times when yes. we were talking like via message, messenger, even that must have felt so good. Like, okay, somebody's listening to me, somebody's hearing me, because on top of all the pain you're feeling, I can't imagine how that fucks with you, like mentally and emotionally when you, like, you know, this is very real. You wake up every day, you're in agony. And people are looking at you like, well, what the fuck? It's cramps. Like, yeah. get on with your and day. And medical professionals especially, right? Because those are the people who know best. And if there's anybody who knows the body, it's going to be them. So to be told, I don't know what's wrong with you or maybe, and not to get on this, but I remember one of the many times I was in the emergency room for my pain, I was actually asked by a doctor, uh, are you going through an issue right now emotionally? Like, are you in a fight with your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Is that why you're here? And I was like, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm in a lot of pain. I keeled over at work. That's why I'm here. And I was like, mm, are, are you sure? Is everything okay? And I'm like, at the time, I was like, I didn't even have a boyfriend at the time. I was like, I'm not in a fight with anybody. I'm in pain. Can you take that seriously? Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? And I hate to bring it here, but it's like, I feel like if a man ever went in with that kind of pain, they'd never say, sir, are you having problems? 
friends with your wife right now? Is that why you're at the hospital? Well, you know, stuff like that happens all the time, especially in Emerge. Like when my father went in for for like an emergency abdominal surgery, he, that ended oh. up that ended up happening. But when we were in the emergency room, they're like, "Ah, oh, you ate something bad. Just go home." They sent him home, and didn't they tell him eat a bunch of yogurt with probiotic? Pretty much. They basically assumed he was like constipated because oh. he's an older guy. Like, yeah. you know, you probably just need to poop. And, it, and it's not till I was like, no, 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 we're not leaving here. And then he started violently vomiting. That's when they're like, we need to get some imaging done. And he had to get a third of his small intestines removed. Oh my God. Necrotic tissue. And they were going to send this motherfucker. They're going to, my, my father, the motherfucker. <laughs> They were going to send him home, you know, say, eat some yogurt. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So, Get I mean, some Activia and you'll be all right in the morning. I mean, no. that that happens a lot, especially in emergency in emergency rooms. Oh, but, yeah, I can, yeah. but I can see this happening with doctors, too, because at the end, you know, doctors are like, if you're not dying, then you're not dying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Here's, here, here's the medication. Deal with the pain, you know. Yeah. And that's how they treat almost everyone. But exactly. I do agree with Cassie in it's the sense that it's very frustrating. I do agree with her, though, that there's certain diseases almost that like get more respect I, this is not like probably the right terminology no, but, but that's it yes but as we were saying before you know if you f- if you tell somebody that you have ms or lupus or even rheumatoid arthritis there's a level of like empathy that People understand what those things are. People understand that's chronic pain. They understand like, oh, how hard your life must be. Yes. Somebody says, I have endometriosis. And I think there's very few people in the population who would categorize that as uh, with the same, if you will. Yeah, the same degree of severity. I think maybe also a part of it is uh, there's a large part of the population has no idea what the hell it is. Well, exactly. Me being one of those people before I got it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My mom, my parents, and no, no fucking clue what that was. Mm-hmm. Going back to the link, though, because you were talking about the link to autoimmune, and then you brought up the idea of school. What, what does this have to do with school? So, uh, like I said, I had that unfortunate run-in with the classmate who basically was like, "Look, it's not my problem if you have a shitty immune system. Sucks to be you. You can't be relying on others. School's not ideal for people like you. Period." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, that's that's not gonna fly. I don't want to start any problems because I'm gonna be with you people until you know." 2021 when I graduate so I'd rather not have any like animosity so I just took it to my teacher who was super understanding on one side about my endometriosis she's like yeah why don't you go talk to the dean about that that way what did what did you want to have done the only thing I would have wanted is that in some way shape or form I mean it's a medical private college anyway so I feel like the cleanliness thing and the you know cough into your sleeve don't touch people when you're sick wear a mask those things should just be there anyways but if we could just enforce them whether it was something verbal whether it was something written all I wanted was for that to be enforced because that was literally it I didn't want like any exemptions from from any sort of like projects or exams or anything like I'm doing really well in school like I just finished anatomy I had a 97 I'm always at school I'm really really good in school Mm -hmm. that isn't my issue I don't want any exemptions from that I just wanted her with her authority if you will, to just be able to tell people or to reinforce the cleanliness thing because there's people who do not fight off illness the way that a normal quote-unquote person would. So if you, with your power, can just enforce that, that'd be great. That's all I wanted. And what was the end result? From the dean, it was, unless you can prove to me that you have some sort of immune uh, dysfunction of any kind, I can't do anything for you. And I was like, I again, and I wanted was to she, make sure. Was she understanding what you were looking for? Because to me, her going in and saying, hey guys, just follow, f- yeah, <laughs> just, just for your information, remember to do this to this to this to this to this to this that's literally all i wanted 
I, I swear. Does she, under- I, does she understand that's what you're looking for? I or? made it really apparent because I had the first meeting with her and I had said, I was like, yeah, I have a, I have a dad who has an autoimmune and uh, the disease that I have, like I get sick all the time. And mm-hmm. I had said, and I'm, you know, I'm just asking for some sort of, again, just that reinforcement of the cleanliness and of the consideration, yeah. if you will. And she was like, yep, no problem. Totally fine. And then she, uh, the next day she called me to discuss with me because she's like the only illness I have on your, uh, you know, on your forms when you decide to go to school is that you have endometriosis. She's like, that's not autoimmune and that's nothing to do with your immune system. So I can't do anything. And then I had to sit there and kind of validate and explain to, and I was about to get into the whole, I'm like, well, you see inflammation is an immune response, but I'm not going to sit there and start telling the Dean about that. She doesn't even know my name. She doesn't care. She's like, if you can bring me some documentation that this is relevant to your immune system, then I can do something, but otherwise I can't. And I was like, that makes no sense to me. She can't make a, a fucking announcement to remind people that all if I wanted, that's it, if you're sick, don't touch anybody. Yeah. That was what was weird to me too, because I can understand if you're talking about things like exemptions and stuff like that I wholeheartedly understand that there needs to be documentation for that kind of thing and I'm all for that otherwise you just end up with a lot of you know people kind of bending the rules if you will and that I don't almost, agree with that to be honest with you that almost sounds like she's protecting herself against a scenario like that where if she acknowledges you now then she's going to have to acknowledge you later if you ever go to them and say uh, can I get be exempt from this or can I have special considerations for these types of things I don't know you worked in a school is what I'm saying make sense to you or am I just throwing shit out there yeah it, it might be and I think you know some people are just really really by the book so if you're asking for any kind of special treatment period I guess they have to have every I just remember working in the school everything was about document this document that is there documentation I have no documentation yeah. so I guess I understand but considering all you were really asking for was well, a little bit of support that's what I mean because then it feels like that that if they acknowledge that this is what we're going to do to help you in this scenario then that's acknowledging that this can be a problem right and then not wanting to deal with whatever might come down the road from it yeah whatever repercussions comes from that and uh, again if we were talking some sort of more intense uh exemption if you will or some kind of condition for me to be not the case i show up to school every day that I can. Mm. I don't want to be exempt. I test with everybody else. I do my OPs like everybody else. I do everything like everybody else. However, for the everybody else's that are sick, can I not be paired up with you that day? Would that be okay? And all I wanted, and again, if you're not well, and there was another girl in the class who had just joined and she's brand new. We didn't even know each other on like a first name basis, but she had heard my little spiel at the beginning. Guys, if you're sick, what did she do? She had a cough. She put on a mask and she wore it for three days in school. And she kept washing her hands every two seconds. And she's like, oh, I don't want to be your partner because I'm sick. And like, I know what you said. I was like, wow, thank you very much. I really appreciate that you who does not even know me. Thank you. And yet, you know. So do your instructors ignore this? Like, do they force you to pair with people that you're like, "Mm, not a good idea for me? No, thankfully, no. And when I spoke to the teacher of the class I'm currently in, Mm -hmm. she was more than understanding about it. However, you know, she's the teacher, not the dean and not the person who can make the rules, if you will. But she was kind enough again to be like guys just a reminder you know cleanliness hand washing please can we do that you know completely directed at the fact that i had just told her what the issue was and you know try as as we might people are gonna either respect it or not and it is what it is but yeah i was i was confused about the whole not being able to do anything because i didn't feel like what i was asking for was a lot Mm -hmm. now maybe that's just me being unreasonable maybe it is a lot i don't know but to me i was just like all i wanted you to do was just enforce it and that was not going to happen. And maybe she doesn't really, I think maybe Mark was suggesting this, maybe she doesn't really understand what you were asking for because like, you know, when you first came in, that was one thing I asked you. I said, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive, but 
what did you want what the school want? to do for you? Exactly. I mean, I understand, you know, you wanting to have some level of acknowledgement that you are dealing with this. And, you know, it because I'm assuming for you, it's got to be so frustrating, just like, you know, we've had people on here who have mental health issues, right? It must be so frustrating to have very real issues that nobody else can see. And so maybe it kind of gets brushed under the rug and maybe people don't take it as seriously and don't think there's anything wrong with you and, yeah. you know, can't understand. Um, but yeah, my my question to you is, well, what did you want her to do? Exactly. And yeah. I, all, I guess all you really wanted was for her to acknowledge that let's try to make sure you don't get sick. I mean, yes, at the end of the day, you're an adult, you know that it is your responsibility Absolutely. and your hand washing and your hygiene matter. Exactly, and yeah. you have to be okay with telling somebody like, nope, sorry, I'm not coming near you. Exactly. But I don't think it would have been such a big deal maybe for her to say sure. to the entire class, like, you know, and let's to not even single her out, which also wasn't my intention because I don't want to mm -hmm. make anybody else feel uncomfortable at any point. Not what I wanted. And I thought that too. I was like, oh, maybe she doesn't know what it is I'm asking. And I definitely did think that because, again, the reaction that I was met with was very uh, like, look, if you want some sort of exemption, I'm going to need to see some paperwork. And I yeah. was like, wait, 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 let me just uh, be clear here. I'm like, I'm not looking to be. And I said specifically, I'm not looking to be exempt from any particular uh, activities, events, anything. I just want you as, again, with your authority, just to reinforce cleanliness. And, you know, if you're sick don't come near other people because mm -hmm. it's just not right. And that to me, and I, I thought that I was being pretty transparent about that. And I did make sure to say, I, I'm not looking for any special exemptions from testing from activities. I just want you to say this. And it was like, no, that's not going to happen. Or at the very least, like, you know, those uh, papers that they'll put around in offices and schools, if somebody has like anaphylactic, like if yeah. they're allergic to something, they'll put that up. And it's like, you know, you couldn't just tell people maybe that would be nice if you could just be a little bit more conscious. So to me, it just seemed, again, I have to sit there almost on a daily basis and validate it. And I'm totally, you know, I have rubbing alcohol in my bag at all times. Like I'm spraying, I am crazy. I'm one, If I could live in a bubble, I would. But that's how terrified I am because my sickness is now, you know, calm and cold for me is a three week occurrence now. It's not, it's not a matter of, oh, I just hey, hey, I'm sick. No, I'm sick for like three weeks and it's awful. And it's just, it's so much worse than it ever used to be. So I do take care of myself the best I can. Like I eat well, I'm constantly washing my hands. I'm not getting in super, you know, I'm not like touching my face all the time with my dirty hands. Like I'm very conscious of that stuff, knowing that I get sick often. And I have no problem telling my classmates, hey, like not to be rude. If you're sick, just please don't come near me. Hope you understand. And you know, a lot of other people, for example, people with kids, they're like, absolutely me too. Please nobody come near me. And then, you know, it it opens that conversation, but there's always going to be people who are like, no, it's your responsibility to not get sick, not mine. And that's kind of what I was met with. Yeah. And, you know, I just kind of sat there and I'm like, aren't we becoming healthcare professionals? <laughs> like, what if you deal with somebody with lupus in your practice? What if you deal with somebody undergoing chemotherapy in your practice? What are you going to tell them? Prep your vitamins, sir? I don't know what to tell you. It is hard. We do. I feel like we do live in a society that doesn't take any kind of illness very seriously. And what I mean by that is if you have a cold, most people will power through and go to work with a cold, myself included. I mean, unless I'm like, it's, you know, day one and I'm disgusting and contagious. I'm not going to contaminate yeah. my clients. But if I'm on like day three or four of a cold and I'm functional, mm. I'm going to go to work. When I worked in an office, I probably would have went on that day one where I was gross. And that's, I think, just the way that people live is, you know, you're For sick, sure. you still got to function, right? It's, I don't think it's the right way, but that's, that's just the way it, it is. It just is the way it is. Everybody sure. still. So yes, every single person who has an autoimmune disease 
it is, of course, their responsibility to try to make sure that they keep up with every kind of measure they can to keep themselves healthy and to stay out of the path of those people. Um, but I guess what you were asking really wasn't totally unreasonable. It's just an extra little, I don't know, reminder. Mm -hmm. If you're sick, maybe stay home or wash your hands or, or the wear a mask. Near me. Yeah, exactly. I'm not expecting, you know, you paid a lot of money to be here just like me. I'm not expecting you to not be here. But, you know, it's a big class and we don't necessarily have to be touching one another. So on the days where you're sick, that would be most ideal. You know, you stay over there and I'll be over here. But it was again, and it, it was just so odd because I, I don't feel like it was a very big ask, but it was just taken as like, no, sorry, not going to happen. Not my responsibility to do with your illness. And I was like, okay, cool. And and to sound like a broken record, I think that is the issue is just when you have this kind of illness, is people not taking you seriously? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where the um, thing about trying to prove the link kind of came because, you know, I've been being in pain for all these years. All I've ever been met with from doctors is, is Percocet or just stay home. Here's a heat pad kind of a thing. And that's fine. Yeah, I am in pain all the goddamn time, like literally, but I can... Now, I, like I said, I've gotten used to my new normal, if you will. I know I'm in pain every single day. I can deal with that. But on top of my pain, if I have to get, you know, the flu, that is absolutely knocking me out for days. And I can't afford to not be in school. I can't afford to not do things like that. So mm -hmm. for me, again, it was just it's just frustrating. And I do feel like I need to, again, be validating what's wrong with me, if you will, mm -hmm. in a way that I think that maybe certain other illnesses wouldn't have to do that, you know. Uh, crave that validation if you will mm -hmm. and it's annoying and if it was taken seriously then i would have no need to you know be as upset or as worked up about it but every single day i met with oh it's it's not that bad it's fine it's not this it's not that not my responsibility to not get you sick all those kind of things mm -hmm. i can't imagine i yelled at you last week because i had period cramps i can't imagine well i really can't imagine yeah <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend says that all the time he's like i'm so sorry he's like i have nothing to compare it to but like i just i'm sorry and i don't know what you're going through right now and like you know I just, I would want nobody, nobody to have to deal with this. And just the fact that there's thousands upon thousands of women, like just in the area alone who are dealing with this, mm -hmm. that's what just makes me sick with having to like, okay, me, I almost feel like me, I'm, I'm a trooper. I can deal with this. But I'm like, what if somebody not as strong or somebody who was like me when I first got it, they have no idea what the fuck's going on. They're just in a lot of pain and they're getting sick and all this stuff is happening and nobody's taking them seriously. So that's kind of where like my mission to get this whole awareness out there and get the validation it has to happen because i'm a tough cookie but not everybody with endo is not mm -hmm. everybody with an illness is i think women are tough in general we are absolutely we have to deal with pain once a month traditionally with a period and then a shit ton of pain with labor you know? and then there's menopause and, and we're that, sweaty oh, yeah. and hormonal and, and angry and man. crying <laughs> and all this yeah it's brutal <laughs> it's brutal like and that's another thing why women's pain isn't really taken seriously because we're kind of expected quote unquote to uh to deal with it mm -hmm. because it's like well you have periods every month how bad could this really be like isn't endometriosis just that or just for anything and it's kind of a slap in the face because it's like the pain that you went through with natural childbirth it's like no you were supposed to deal with that pain it's like that doesn't make it any less important on the other days where you're in pain mm -hmm. you know what i mean it doesn't it doesn't discredit that in any way shape or form but as women again there's that expectation of that understanding that we just do have pain so deal with it. I read an article recently. This is not related, but it kind of is uh, about what you were just saying. I read something and I didn't read the whole thing, so I, I won't say much about it. But it was, uh, I think, a survey 
and it was something about how statistically most women are either uncomfortable or in pain during sex and say nothing because like <laughs> culturally it's just expected that like we don't necessarily have to enjoy ourselves it's just it's for the man yeah yeah and yeah. i was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah i read this thing that like a, a lot of women are either uncomfortable or in pain oh no yeah and they, the number was huge i believe it though i believe it for sure mm-hmm. i believe that there's a bunch of women who are probably dealing with that and just not doing slash saying anything about it which sucks but yeah again it's just one of those things that why is that even a statistic because we're not saying anything because we don't want to be patronized for anything that we say about pain it's almost like it's not valid coming from us deal with it did you have any female doctors that you were seeing i actually just met my first female doctor Hmm. just uh october 10th or something like that is it a different experience completely And I didn't want to believe that because I'm not one of those people that's like, nope, sorry, if you don't have ovaries, I don't think you can help me. Not true at all. I always thought I was like, no, a fucking doctor's a doctor. You Mm -hmm. obviously went through all this schooling to be a surgeon. You are obviously very knowledgeable and you know what you're talking about. Whether or not you have a vagina doesn't matter to me. I was never one of those people who kind of thought that they wouldn't understand until like doctor number eight. And I was like, okay, you guys definitely don't understand. Like you don't get it. And I met my first... um, specialist uh female specialist just on october 10th and it was the first time where she just was so down to earth and it's like okay the number one thing i don't want you to feel when you leave today is that i did nothing for you and i was like really you feel that way you actually care whether or not i go home and like cry really like and you know what i mean and it was just a bunch of and every time i had to go to like a male it just seemed super like i always left in tears and like i got really emotional because every time i have to tell my story if you will i get quite weepy about it because it's a sad story right it's no way to live and doctors just kind of sit there like okay like okay can we like you know hurry this up kind of a thing and i'm like okay and i feel bad for crying I almost didn't didn't even feel the need to get weepy in front of her because she instantly just made me feel so, I understand, and she's only an endometriosis specialist, which Mm -hmm. is also tremendous, Mm -hmm. that she only deals with people like me. So I was like, oh, I don't have to explain this to you. You see it every day. And she's like, absolutely. And I left that day with um, an understanding, you know, three different backup plans for a plan that she had for me, which was like, whoa, really? You're not just going to put me on a wait list and say, you know, I'll talk to you in a couple of months? And give you Percocets. And give me Percocet. I didn't leave with one painkiller. And she's like, would you like, she offered, like, would you like me to give you something for the pain or refer you to pain management clinics? She's like, I'd like to get you into a pain management clinic in order to help that side of it while we wait for surgery to see if I can help you that way. And I was like, if you believe that a pain management clinic and they'll give you other things like exercises and all these types and therapy, it's not just a like for medication. So I just really felt understood by her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that, and again, I had already seen an endometriosis specialist, the one who performed my excision. And I never felt that. Uh, that sense of like down to earth and like I, I didn't feel like I was going to have to come to you and kind of like just, you know <laughs> spill my story to you and like just everything so I just I don't know it did make a big difference to me and I really didn't want that to be the case because I do believe yeah. that doctors are doctors well this is why when uh, Cassie first messaged me and she was asking me you know what do you know about endometriosis have you had patients who have this do you think massage therapy can help and like I said I think massage therapy could be part of a page pain management strategy and I said to her this could be be such a not you know not that there's I'm not trying to put a silver lining on endometriosis in any way but this could be sort of a niche for you in dealing with women and women's health and women's pain because you understand Mm -hmm. and you could give them a certain kind of care and understanding that they might not be getting anywhere else and that even just helps with some of the mental health issues like I can't imagine 
imagine having, like we said, this invisible illness and almost like people are looking at you like, yeah, you know, maybe she's just stressed. Yeah. Maybe you should, you know, lose weight and eat some kale and, uh, and everything will be fine. do some yoga and you'll be totally fine. Oh, yeah. I was told that by my endometriosis specialist who did the excision when I went to my post. You were told what? Lose weight and eat kale and do yoga? Uh, do yoga. I was told to do yoga. Oh. Yeah, I was told to do yoga. And uh, I, I had gone to him basically again, bawling my eyes out because A, I was sad my surgery didn't work. I wasn't one of the percentage of people who went into remission. So sad about that. And then I'm like, hey, what's step two? What's our next What's our next move? And he's like, I'm not doing another surgery. He's like, I don't think that's going to be necessary. He's like, I think you should try to get into doing something more natural like yoga. Mm. And I was like, okay, I it hurts to live, to walk, to anything. I'm not spending the extra energy, if I even have it that day, on fucking yoga. That being said, I absolutely understand that there's a huge therapeutic benefit to doing all those things. Mm -hmm. However, when there's somebody who's in debilitating pain who cannot even like walk properly, like I remember having to get like, I have a wheelchair and like crutches and stuff like that. My mom's had to wheel me around places like I haven't broken a leg. I'm not paralyzed or anything like that. I but it's necessary sometimes. Like, that's the level of debilitating pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? To be told, like, you need to try yoga or something. I was like, that is not the right response here, sir. That's not going to happen. Although Mark doesn't have a uterus, I feel like he's a good person to be listening to this because Mark's in pain 100% of the time, every day. He's prescribed painkillers all the time because of nerve damage from uh, herniated discs in his oh. back. I'm so sorry. And uh, yeah, I've been a candidate for back surgery for I don't know since 1996. I don't know however long that is. Yeah, she was like a fetus. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been four when you were going. <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> no, come back, come back. But I mean, he understands chronic pain was where I was going with it. And it's I mean to most people invisible. And he gets up every day and he functions. If you're not super close to him, you'd have no idea. It's yeah. those night times, you know when he's trying to settle in and go to sleep and suddenly oh you think i smoke weed just for the fun of it <laughs> i've i i'm actually the one i don't know if he remembers this maybe because he smokes too much but probably like 10 11 years ago i was the one saying to him you should start smoking more weed and i was being very very serious because yeah. We weren't sleeping. Neither one of us were sleeping because his pain would get so aggressive at night. He's fidgeting the entire night. So I'm yeah. not sleeping. And yeah, selfishly, I was like, fuck, we need something. Something to put you like, out. <laughs> we need to sleep. Yes. We both need to sleep. Yeah. And he didn't want to take the Percocets, which I didn't blame him. I didn't want him to take the Percocets either. Yeah. And so, yeah, then once cannabis became part of our life sleep came back it must be a beautiful thing and uh when i tell people like my boyfriend for example like bless his heart he's always like i just read about this strain you know and i said some people with like and this could really help you and i'm like cool and for the life of me i've tried i'm not somebody who doesn't want to smoke weed because i'm like oh, i don't want to be a hippie it's nothing like that it's just every time i've ever smoked weed in my life i am paranoid anxious and gonna vomit so i'm like yeah, yeah. that's probably not how i want to feel well now that uh legalization has happened and we just passed the one year and anniversary yeah. you know there's a lot of medical cannabis clinics as well we even had people on the podcast talking about it where medical doctors will assess you and figure out what would work for you and there's yes. a lot of different types of oils or things you can take that don't have any psychoactive effects that aren't going to make you paranoid and yeah. hungry and sleepy all those things, and, that you imagine. Yeah, all yeah. those things so i mean it's a possible option but again all that is is pain management mm -hmm. exactly and i have actually one of the options I did pursue was to go see, a, uh, it was at Wellmedica, I believe, in Vaughan, and it was for a 
prescription to be able to get cannabis like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a matter of like, I couldn't just go out on, you know, the, the new Ontario website and order it myself. I just wanted to know, surely you doctor who understands this will be able to prescribe me oh, a sure. certain strain or something right. like that. And when I told him all my history and he was very attentive and talk about somebody who was actually really understanding to my issue, he told me, he's like, if it wasn't for the fact that you have already had a surgery and you've tried all these other medications, he's like, I wouldn't be giving you a prescription to this because the research for women's like you know for cramps for endo for uh pcos he's like it is in its infancy he's mm-hmm. like i have no real knowledge that is gonna know that this is gonna help you in any way shape or form oh that must have been so deflating to hear that i was really sad because like all you see is people who are like you know uh, i <laughs> this person smoked weed and like everything was can't like you know like cured and they're totally fine i was like oh great this is another <laughs> avenue that's absolutely gonna work for me and i tried and, and just hearing that from him i was like not even anything. And he's like, if you'd like to try something. And he gave me a prescription to be able to look into it and to order, um, uh, however, to be able to get a prescription and to have that kind of uh, validation for being able to smoke weed, if you will. It's legal now. It doesn't really matter. And uh, again, I, I tried it. My boyfriend, who does, uh, who knows a lot more about it, like he smokes weed and he has no like pain or anything like that. But it just genuinely makes him feel good or better mm-hmm. or able mm-hmm. to sleep and I'm like oh fantastic gonna try this and I tried you know small little bits different types he always tries to get some that you know aren't terribly high in the THC or things that can be more psychoactive if you will I just I don't know what it is with my stomach my stomach I guess it is just hates smoking mm. weed and I've tried CBD it it does relax you absolutely on an anxiety kind of standpoint for sure it mellows you out absolutely but when i get one of those like really bad flare-ups no it's not Jesus helping himself yeah. is not helping me <laughs> like it's yeah just cannabis brutal. is not a miracle drug um even for mark it doesn't take away his pain like he is still in pain after he smokes but he's able to relax enough to sleep but then when he w- if something wakes him up at three o'clock in the morning something being our two-year-old um that's it he's yeah. up He's up and he's not going back to sleep because the pain is full force. It's three o'clock in the morning and he has nothing to do but think about it. Yes, exactly. I'm lucky that I am not lucky because it sucks that my dad has RA, but I've seen what chronic pain and chronic inflammatory illness does to a person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for the medication that my dad had eventually found to be able to get him, he was, he's now in remission, thank God, from RA, which is amazing and so, you know, not common. But he understands completely. He's like, I know what it's like to be in that kind of debilitating pain. So, you know, having my parents really understand it because they had lived it. I don't know how understanding they would have been otherwise, but because of my dad having the RA, he totally gets it. So I know what it's like. Again, my dad is such a big guy. He's like 6'2", and he's got a huge structure. So you can imagine like when his joints are out, that's like a giant tree falling in the middle. Like it's not happening. There's too much of my dad to hold up with painful joints like it's mm-hmm. not gonna happen so yeah it was it was brutal and i know what that's like and he had even at one point in the early 2000s been prescribed uh medical cannabis for his situation and he was like yeah fuck it. give me anything i'll try he and he was open to it it wasn't anything that he ended up doing they put him on prednisone which is what they put like everybody and their mothers on yeah but yeah i wish i really do wish cannabis was something that helped me like that but again the uh side effects the bad side effects kind of outweigh the good well i really just hope for you and for the thousands of other women who are dealing with endometriosis every day that uh the medical community does take you guys seriously i can't imagine the pain because as i said i freaked out over period cramps a week ago so i can't imagine what you have to deal with every day and it's yeah maybe we just need to look at some kind of strategy some plans 
it, it makes me a little bit sad that a hysterectomy is not an option for you. Like I said, I, there's it is, yeah, there's like true. a little part of me that understands like they would really want to make sure you're sure. But if it's being offered as, you know, Mark found out that's being offered for maybe I'm wrong in that. Yeah. If we're wrong, we're wrong. But that's what it looked like on the website. Then. I mean, you're you're an adult, and if you're going to put your own health and quality of life over the possibility of having children, which, by the sounds of it, you're you've kind of come to the acceptance that if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You'll go about it another way. Then you know, if it's going to help, like, why not? Yeah, right? if it's going to help, then. But anyway, I hope that people will take it a little more seriously and. When you graduate massage school, this can be something that you're bringing more awareness to and helping more women. And you could have a whole practice full of endometriosis warriors. Absolutely. I'd love to. I, that's that's absolutely the goal. Because again, I understand surgery and the you know medically induced menopause, not for everybody. So I'd love to be able to be the other option for somebody. And like you said, to be able to provide that care and listening and empathy to people mm-hmm. would love to do that because I certainly did not have that. So if I could be that person for even like one other woman with endometriosis, PCOS, anything like that, women's pain, I want to be able to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And the literal second I become licensed, that is the first order of business i need to i need to be doing that that's what i have to do with my future i have to be the change that i want to see on that note (laughs) (laughs) i'm so proud of you you do so good sitting here listening to a whole conversation about women's issues about stuff that i have no idea about yeah but you're in pain i'm happy to not know about this idea No, no offense but you know what i mean you know what i mean right yeah okay well i i think you've got um a competitive advantage to though being that you attended two natural childbirths. He actually delivered our first child. No I don't know way. if we've ever spoken about that on mic, but he wanted to be the one to deliver the baby and my midwife let him do so. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like she just lost her job. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't say stuff like that. Nobody knows who she is. It's okay. Nobody knows. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. He, he delivered our first baby. Like, yeah, caught her, put her on my chest. Oh my god! Forgot to tell me the sex of the baby. Whatever. Not important at the time. <laughs> You'll exactly. learn eventually. That's adorable. But yeah, stuff like that. There are some men, people, anybody who are sympathetic, empathetic, and can be that way. But it's definitely not everybody. There's a lot of people who can't put themselves in your situation if they have literally nothing to compare it to. So it's really nice to hear, you know, husbands, boyfriends, like my boyfriend again, wonderful about everything does not have a vagina, has no idea what I'm talking about, but has the ability to be that caring and that understanding for what I'm going through, Mm -hmm. even though it has nothing to do with him. And side note, your pain is not imagined. But even if someone's pain is imagined, it is very disheartening when nobody will listen to you because there's some reason you don't feel well. And there's some reason that you're you're experiencing this, even if it is psychosomatic or whatever, like just to have somebody listen to you and take you seriously and say, "Okay, let's figure out what we can do. That kind of empowerment just starts to make you feel better. And when you feel better mentally, some of the physical symptoms can be reduced. Absolutely. So, you know, going to doctor after doctor after doctor and being told like, "Okay, it's you know, it's cramps. There's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with you. Go away. That's not helping. No, absolutely not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If more people were just a little bit more uh open-minded i guess if you will it mm-hmm. would be the world would be a much better place mm-hmm. there's no way to know the answer to this but do you think if you were older you would have had a different response yes big time i had a old employer actually who was dealing with um 
Uh, she was having like a lot of really painful periods and she was uh, not to be TMI for her, but uh, bleeding like tremendously. And it was just not functioning anymore, which is a part that I and I was dealing with the same thing at one point until I got put on a certain birth control. I kind of made that a little bit better. But it was the same thing. And it was funny because uh, she was 46 and I was 26 at the time. So it was quite a big jump. But she went to the doctor and told them I'm having these pains and this is how I'm bleeding. And I'm going through, you know, one pad every two hours. And they were they were literally they scheduled her hysterectomy i think it would have been three months from the date mm. and it wasn't even a question it was like are, it was like are you comfortable with that because that's what i think we should do let me know if you're okay with that we're gonna sign the forms and how is she now uh better actually i believe yeah i think so uh she hasn't been as vocal about what's going on with her she said obviously the bleeding and everything stopped menopause unfortunately just like came in <laughs> like you know well, yeah it, you have it, a hysterectomy yeah yeah it hit her hard but she was ready to deal with that because the symptoms that she was dealing otherwise were not mm -hmm. not good she she didn't have endometriosis, at least we didn't think or she didn't know. It was never found. It was just, again, at her age, no, we can't have you dealing with this. It's a simple solution. Just take everything out. Yep. But for younger people, not so not so simple, which was odd. And I remember getting the news and I was like, I'm so happy for you. But <laughs> why didn't I get that option? <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. And she felt bad, too, because she was curious to see if they would uh, you know, turn her away the same the same way that they did for me. And not the case at all. In fact, it was like, ma'am, I think a you know hysterectomy would be a great solution right now. You know, you're at that age; you're not having kids anymore. Right. And it was like, yep, no problem. Before we wrap up, I won't get too political, but why do so many people feel they have the right to tell women what to do with their bodies? That is a whole That's other a whole yeah. other discussion. So we won't talk about it. No, not today. At least <laughs> not today. Well, anyway, thank you for coming in and being so open about this. Thank and you. for anybody who wants to follow Cassie in her new uh i guess this is new right like it you're you're sort of putting things out there and yes. bringing awareness just tell everybody one more time what that instagram is yeah, my instagram handle is at the endometriosis warrior all right follow her and if you get flooded with dms it's not our fault i <laughs> know i'd love it i'd welcome it i want to be like i said that change in the world I did you did you also mention that you were involved with some facebook support groups is that did i hear that right? it was a support group yeah that's where i had found out about the woman who lost custody of her child mm, through okay. there and i was like oh that's bad i actually also had a, an article in the toronto sun written about me one of my beloved clients uh managed to make that happen for me and it was an article about my endometriosis and how basically the angle was that you know the healthcare system has failed this young woman and it was the minute I got that I was flooded with uh, like people found me on Facebook people found me on Instagram just searching my name and they were like oh, your story sounds like mine I related to you so much and from that I was like oh my god holy shit there's so many of us I need to reach out to all of you so that's that's what I want to do that's what the Instagram's for I'd like to eventually do like YouTube just be able to reach as many people to let them know you're not alone you're not crazy despite what some doctors might not know is wrong with you, this could be something that's wrong with you and I'm here to listen. I know. Awesome. Thanks for coming by. This oh, has been good. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>